Welcome to the Trauma Healing Tribe, the official podcast of the Comprehensive Resource Model, an advanced therapy integrating ancient wisdom and modern neuroscience to heal the multidimensional roots of trauma. And I'm your host, Melanie Swan. Hey everyone, welcome back to episode four. In this episode, we've got Lisa Schwartz and Elisa Elkin-Cleary back on the podcast. So thank you, ladies. Welcome. Thanks, Melanie, once again for having us. Hi, Melanie. So today we're going to be talking about different opportunities for the therapist to develop. And I thought it'd be really cool to start off with maybe, Elisa, could you give us some insight in why might we become a therapist? Sure, Melanie. So, and if you think about it really with, with everyone, everyone consciously and unconsciously chooses the work that they do in life. And therapists are, of course, no exception to that. And many therapists will readily agree that we are driven to choose this as a profession to heal ourselves. And somehow that mission either doesn't become fully conscious or it gets lost in the shuffle of our education. But on the whole, we are choosing to first and primarily heal our own pain that we're carrying with us and our own rupture and self. And that's a driving force in why we become therapists, psychotherapists. What that then means is we have a population of people in the psychological field, and that includes psychiatrists, psychologists, clinical social workers, and all of the counselors that are unhealed. And they are working with other people who are also seeking to heal. And what that means is that we are responsible as psychotherapists, psychologists, and psychiatrists to do our own healing work. And I know that most, if not all in the field, would agree with us on that fact that it is our responsibility to heal. The challenge is what does that truly mean? And in our field, what that has, what we have found is that what that means or looks like is that people that are um, working to help others heal are coping better and managing better and have done some healing, but they have not totally healed that rupture in self. They have not thoroughly healed their generational trauma. And so that there is still a rupture in self that definitely impacts their work with others, definitely limits the potential that they have to truly help other people heal and heal more deeply, to not just cope and manage a little bit better or to have more insight. It's, a, it's very important to help people at least have the opportunity to choose whether they want to heal that root intolerable pain of what happened as a result of what happened or what didn't happen that should have, that is driving all of those defense responses that are manifesting as symptoms, that are driving that rupture and self-pain that was created as a result of the root trauma. And allows them that opportunity to choose to evolve themselves. And we can't do that unless we've healed that deeply ourselves. And some of the reasons that we can't 
heal others to the highest level of effectiveness, if we're not healthier than the general population, is a therapist who has not done their root work. We're talking about their survival terror work at the deepest level. We're talking about attachment disruption at the deepest level, not just from mom and dad, but from self, from our lineages, from nature, from source, from our bodies. If we have any of those kind of attachment disruptions that are unhealed, that means we cannot stay fully present in our body as a therapist. And if we can't stay in our body, the client cannot stay in their own body. And if the therapist and the client are not in their bodies fully while they're working, the work is not going to stick and the work is not going to be resourced enough or feel safe enough even just neurobiologically feel safe enough to go to the root systems that need the attention. So that's one issue is of, of dissociation in the therapist is going to impact the ability for the client to move toward an embodied associated state in order to get to the, the pieces of remembering and the pain that needs to be addressed. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a real opportunity for us as therapists to get deeper into ourselves, reconnect with self, do our own work, and then we can be more effective with our clients. Yes. Good reminder. There is one other issue though. A lot of therapists will say, of course I've done my work. I've been in therapy for 20 years. That's fantastic. And every modality has its benefits. However, there are some modalities that despite their level of effectiveness at some, in some way, they have not done the work that actually has allowed them to get to where they need to go for a full and clear healing, memory reconsolidation, emotional memory reconsolidation, and a reconnection, a returning toward connection. No more separation from self, from source, from the lineages, from your ancestors, from the land, from nature, from your history, from your truth. And certain types of therapeutic modalities, as fabulous as they may be, do not allow for that depth of access. So a therapist can say, I don't need to do my work. I've done all my work. I've been working for 17 years, but what kind of work have they been doing? How deep has it gone? And that's, you know, obviously you, you don't know what you don't know. And when a lot of these modalities are basically quote unquote, the popular kids where the research is done to support them supposedly, and they've just have a very high visibility. You know, those are the modalities people are going to be using, but yet they, they do have their limitations in terms of the depth of the root systems that can be accessed. I think it's important to say here as to why that is. And I think what's important about that, or there's many things that are important about that, but one aspect that's important about that is our own programming in our field in terms of a lot of focus has been on 
uh, emotional regulation, which yes, of course, that is important. And CRM provides that (laughs) in the midst of doing a lot of other things with the neurobiology. However, that emotional regulation has all been about, okay, let's get back in our comfort zone. Let's get back in our comfort zone so that not only the client can be okay, and let's make sure that they're okay and comfortable. It's also about our level of anything that is unhealed within us. When it's triggered, we're just seeking to get back in our comfort zone. That's the way our neurobiology works. It's also what our field has kind of programmed us unintentionally, but it's done that, where it's all about emotional regulation because we just want to feel okay and we just want our clients to feel okay. You know, and I can give a number of examples that back that up, including like how we work with suicide and that it has been only until recently where certain therapists are able to, because they've done their own survival terror work, can just go and be very neutral in working with the part that wants to die or the parts that want to die. And so what this speaks to is that are we always in our comfort zone, whether it's with what we think we know and what we think is the best modality and um, what serves the best emotional regulation and is that person then okay to then just live their lives or have we really provided the opportunity for them to heal deeply? so that those symptoms don't continue to manifest in that person's life, even if it's in a different way, if one way has been resolved, like such as anxiety, it'll then manifest in another way, unless it's resolved, the trigger that's underneath all of that. And in this work that we're talking about and healing very deeply, the deepest roots to, the, to healing that rupture to self, to source, to nature, to our bodies, to our lineages, that when you heal that deeply, you're going to be uncomfortable. It's not fun to look at things that you don't want to look at, but it's necessary in order to heal that deeply. We have to, and just look at all of the literature that's on, when does change happen? You got to get uncomfortable. You got to be okay with so-called making mistakes or quote unquote failing. It's like it's getting outside of the comfort zone so that we can actually change. In CRM, we do it safely with the resources that are neurobiological, as well as the fractal of what those resources really are bringing us back into connection with. So it's done in a safe way where you still have that emotional regulation, but it's not everything. The emotional regulation isn't the end. The end is the deeper healing and the evolution. That means we have to get uncomfortable. And in our field, we're not taught that it's okay to be uncomfortable and how to do that safely. That is not what we're taught how to do. We're taught and we're sent very strong messages, keep things comfortable, think, keep things okay, so that everything's just okay. And that helps and supports the therapist's unhealed material that leads to attachment to the outcome of their work. Because with attachment to the outcome of the work, what that really is, is a representation that that means attachment to the outcome means the, the the session looks good the the client feels good when they left that movement was made it was productive it looks like wonderful things happened and the therapist needs that 
oftentimes a therapist needs that in order to mitigate their own unhealed belief systems of, I am a failure as a human being. I am not lovable. I do not exist. I'm going to die if I am not seen and known as successful and okay. So when that's inside a therapist, that's what's driving them. And so the uh, interventions that they use, the choices that they make in the therapy, their ability to attune, 100% attune to every nuance and every aspect of a client when they're working is completely impossible. You cannot attune deeply and exquisitely and impeccably with another human being when you are running on your own survival terrors. It's impossible. They're mutually exclusive. And so therefore, what happens is the, the work becomes half for the client, the client's highest good, and half for the therapist's highest good. All of this is unconscious, but it's keeping the work from being authentic and clean. It gets really muddy. And again, the therapist, if they're in some kind of survival terror around failure, around existing, around being, you know, lovable or, or okay, that is going to inform what they do with their clients because they're trying to get those needs met in themselves. That is not working for the client. That is not being a clean therapist. That's working from our own stuff and staying in our own intellectual defense responses, our own intellectualization, mentalization around what's going on. Because staying up in the head, trying to figure it out and looking like the expert is much safer than the unknown of allowing things to just come and attuning to every exquisite nuance that is in front of you. All I can say is, wow, like I learned some really cool stuff there. Thank you. I think you made some really great points, Lisa. Um, and Elisa, just really, really clear. I hope everyone listening is really getting as much from this as I am, because it's, it's, I think anyway, one of the main points I could be looking at as a therapist and should be looking at as a therapist and something that's useful for all of us. So wonderful. Can I just jump in here? I want to say one other thing, though. I don't want want anyone to really take this as a blame thing or a shame thing or you're a bad thing. If you haven't known about, let alone had the opportunity to work with someone or to have just haven't had the opportunity to do the work we're talking about, you don't know what you don't know. You can't be conscious and making choices to deal with something that you're not even aware is in play. And at least in my education, none of that was taught to me, brought to my attention. I would never have learned anything about the needs, you know, that are required around attachment to the outcome other than just my own experience over, you know, 35 years or whatever. So the idea in terms of what Elisa and I are talking about today is we are appealing to therapists' sense of 
integrity and desire to grow and evolve and heal. And we're just trying to validate and put words to what might be inside one in a way that can empower the therapists to make some changes, to look at what's possible, to know that there is a very clear potential for putting these pieces of the puzzle together and working through it as well. So we're only bringing this as information, not as a shame or blame game. Yep. Absolutely. And that that's how it landed with me as well. It was just, yeah, it's information. We can do what we wish with it. Which actually brings me on to my last question. Some of these things can be highlighted, worked with, supported in consultation. So I wanted to finish with this last opportunity for therapists really to work in with or without consultation or with on or not one's own. Following on from what you've both said about catching these things, about it's not a perfect world and as the therapists we're evolving and that sort of thing, our own stuff and our own attachments can can be caught really and supported in consultation. It can be highlighted. So yeah, I just wanted to you to talk about the need for consultation really, for good quality consultation and you know, the potential of what happens if you work without that. Yeah, I think the first thing that you said raises the first question for people to think about. And actually, I think about is maybe a reason why people don't seek consultation after a certain amount of experience in this field is because supervision and consultation is on one level, one thing. When we first graduate from graduate school and we're in our first five or so years of clinical work um, that's very focused on certain kinds of assessment and more problem solving. Like, what do, what do I do with this issue? What do I do with this issue? And so I can certainly understand why many therapists feel like they maybe don't need supervision or consultation anymore. However, that's not the kind of consultation that we are providing and seeking in the comprehensive resource model. It's to really be with what Lisa and I are speaking about in terms of, yes, we're looking at the nuances within the clinical work and how to address that, as well as as the CRM consultant, we're looking at where are the blocks and obstacles within the therapist to taking that client deeper, to seeing what's actually right in front of them that they're not seeing. And to also, and it's done in such a way that there, it isn't about that evaluation that we still maybe hold kind of that, that feeling of I'm being evaluated when we come to consultation supervision. It is within this frame for we are all growing and evolving while we're here on earth and while we're doing this work. Every person who sits in front of me presents a new challenge to me. And I've been doing this for almost 30 years. Everybody's neurobiology is complex. Everybody and what they hold in their cells is complex. And there is, there is going to be with every single client something that I haven't seen before or haven't heard before. 
you know, while there may be themes that are, of course, familiar, there's something specific about that person. But to get back to the frame for what we're providing consultation is, is that we always have room to grow and evolve, always. And that can, is not done in isolation. We cannot do it in isolation. We, we need someone to help us with that, to, to be a guide to, from a loving place and a respectful place, point those things out as that opportunity for that therapist to grow within themselves so that they can then see the nuances that are there and work with them in the way that we're suggesting. That's what I was, in my um, own way, trying to ask, Elisa. Consultation is really helpful at any stage and it can catch those things because we're all just humans. Lisa, I don't know if you wanted to add anything to that. No, I think she, Elisa hit it all. She did. Wonderful. I think there's some massively useful points in there. And both of you, thank you once again for a great podcast. Thank you. Thanks so much, Melanie. See you soon. If you are interested in taking the CRM training, it's all available online. The link to the schedule is in the show notes. And we look forward to seeing you next time.